Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, president of Westminster Effects. You can buy stuff for your guitar, westminstereffects.com. You can join in the discussion of the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. You can support the show at anchor.fm. Even a dollar a month helps. You can subscribe and comment and all that good stuff on Facebook and Instagram. Help share the show, help us grow, and all that good stuff. The gang's all here. I'm joined in person by... Hey, everybody. It's Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. And via the interwebs by... Hey, everybody. John Ross here, Westminster Effects Artist Dogs, Bergian Christian, just a plain old fella from Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> just a plain old Midwest fella who is... Are you an admiral in the Nebraska Navy yet? I'm not. That, no one, that no one yet? Nobody has sponsored me yet. Oh, we need to make that happen. I don't know. Hashtag, hashtag make John an admiral. Do I need a boat for... I don't even know. Like, I don't even know the requirements here. Well, you like, got a I, truck. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's pretty tall. You can, it can go through a stream. You know, do I need what, like a captain's hat? You know, with like scrambled eggs on the bill? You know, hook yep. myself up with one of those, figure it out. Yeah, there you go. Anyways, make it happen. John, make it happen. I have, uh, I have no transition from that to our main topic, so we'll just jump uh, in. Yeah, I don't expect that you ever do. No, good. We have to manage our expectations around here. So I've made an observation that I figured I'd throw at you fellers. Uh, that I found fairly interesting. And I'll leave some names out for uh, diplomacy's sake, we'll say. Uh, but I, I noticed on Instagram uh, last week, uh, uh, how do you even say it? Uh, basically, a, a musician who is not a Christian by any stretch. Uh, I have even seen this musician partake in tarot card type of stuff. <laughs> On, on Instagram and whatnot, okay. uh, say, hey, uh, in the middle of all my covers, I'm also going to start doing some spiritual songs. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, and then proceeded to cover oceans. Interesting. Uh, and, and then uh, in, in the bridge, switch the uh, in the presence of my savior line to in the presence of my maker which I found pretty interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're not a Christian, you don't have a savior. You could only have a maker. Right. Uh, unless you've, you know, concocted some theology of the savior spaghetti monster or whatever. <laughs> uh, sure. But uh, I found it really interesting. And I got to thinking, uh, you know, is it possible? And this isn't to condemn anyone, but oceans is one of the biggest uh, worship songs in the last five years or so. Um, is it possible that we're not being explicit enough with gospel truths in some of our worship music? Mm. And that's kind of, that's kind of the question that I've, that I've come to. And I think the answer is probably at least sometimes, uh, you know, if, if you're singing a Psalm verbatim, you don't have Jesus Christ mentioned explicitly. Sure. 
obviously you have implicitly pointing down the whole Old Testament points to him. Types, shadows, so on and so forth. Yes. Right. And, and so if you if you're singing a psalm uh, verbatim and you have an unbelieving Jew in your church service, then you know that guy singing the psalm and interpreting it incorrectly is completely on him. Right. 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 It's uh, yeah. But he's, we're not talking about uh effectively a godless pagan new ager sure being able to sing about some vague spirit (laughs) right and and not blushing about it (laughs) sure so what do we think am am i off base here or or am are we am i maybe onto something i mean personally that's something that that i've i've picked up plenty um you know, I, I mentioned uh, probably a number number episodes ago when it was when it was really eating at me. You know, there's so much uh, uh, there's so much content right that it, in in contemporary Christian music that is uh, more about solutions to temporal problems rather than solutions to eternal problems, so to speak. Yep. Um, you know that that's just that's just what the content is it's like you know you're my chain breaker you 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 break the chains of addiction and blah 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 and and yes in a sense but you know you're missing a missing a large part of the uh um of the activity there uh but you know it it doesn't really stop there um you know, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of music that not only speaks to temporal problems, but also speaks to uh, to identity and worth and value, which which of course are, I mean, music in general will follow um, the the trends of culture. We know this, uh, but in the case of Christian music or or inspirational music, even uh, to use the Caleb term, um, encouraging, uh, so much of it, it tends to speak to. Uh, what people are lacking, right? Or, or what they're seeking to find. And uh, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff recently that has addressed uh, personal value and personal worth. Um, uh, two songs uh, with very, uh, very similar names that address the same topic are You Say and Who You Say I Am. Uh, I, I can't remember if we talked about this on the show recently or, or if that was an aside between you and I, Cody, but um, you know who you say I am is a it's a Hillsong one, which you know are not not out of the woods as as far as uh, um, you know song content in general, but uh, you know it it brings us back and it ties us back to who the sunsets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Yep. Um, whereas uh, you say, uh, which is a Lauren Daigle tune, is a beautiful song. Sure. Um, but it's more generic. It's it, everything in it can be tied. It's, I don't feel I'm worth anything. I don't feel this. I don't feel this. But insert the words, because of Christ and us being clothed in his righteousness, you say I am loved. But we have to add in things to make it specific. Right? So it's not that they're wrong. It's not that the songs are wrong, right? It's that there is a generic meh. It's it's almost like you have to eisegete the song to make it Christian sometimes, right? Right. <clears throat> I mean, and and sure, there there's something to be said for the context in which a song is being sung, right? Right. Um, 
I mean, there are sermons that uh, let's say sermons that that don't uh, let's say they're not an exegetical sermon, right? Where uh, where it doesn't uh, it doesn't walk us specifically through a text, but it's a topological one, right? Which you know we're none of us are particularly fans of, but um, you know it's a topological one. There are sermons out there that could be a great message such as a parable, to communicate a, a spiritual, scriptural truth in such clear terms that it clicks for every single member of the congregation sitting in that room. However, outside of the context of a Sunday morning that was begun in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it could have been a TED Talk. Now, hmm. that doesn't mean that uh that that was an appropriate appropriately constructed sermon that's not what i'm saying but what i'm saying is that it's not just music right the context of where things are being sung where they're being spoken um even even so much as the mindset to what people to what people are are in uh drastically affects how something can be viewed and because of that, I almost wonder if it's intentional. If the if the vagueness is intentional in in the in the music, Bradley, this sounds uh, a lot like some conversations we've had very very recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, are you saying, John, the vagueness is intentional? I like think on- it. Uh, on on the part of the artist and or songwriter uh, and or record label, depending on how much of a conspiracy theorist you want to be, uh, perhaps the uh, perhaps the vagueness is intentional so that the music will appeal to a larger audience. Um, now that can take several shapes: appeal to a, a larger denominational audience. Mm-hmm. Um, or to a mass market where or to a or to a mass market that's still driven by by radio plays and uh, and Spotify suggested playlists. Well, and I think that's a that that's a dangerous thing about you know Christianity and the church going mainstream, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's uh, <clears throat> I remember in two thousand one, I took a trip to Australia to Hillsong's conference. Mm. Um, and you know hillsong was a relatively new phenomenon at that time and we we went and it was just overwhelming the size and scope of that ministry and that conference and they had this display you know kind of in their merch area uh, of all the albums up to that point that hillsong mm. had put out and yep. darling check was still involved <laughs> and the it, it was interesting to see like the first i don't remember exactly how many three four five albums looked very homemade the covers mm-hmm. the, you know and this was you, you still had cds back then so yeah <laughs> what are those yeah so it, it very homemade like you know done in microsoft whatever uh some some sweet little lady you know putting the graphics and stuff yep. on them yep. and then the the last one was the album that song shout to the lord came out on mm. and the next album looked like the most top quality mainstream produced yep. thing that you've ever seen and i've never forgotten that like it's one song takes hillsong around the world 
because uh, I remember when I was in college and I was playing keys for a traveling group. And I remember the director walks in to one of our rehearsals and lays some music in front of me. And at the top, it says, shout to the Lord. And he's like, this is awesome. And I remember practicing that little piano intro. And and, and I didn't even know what Hillsong was. It's like all of a sudden they're mainstream. My point is, I agree with you, John. I think there's a temptation to soft pedal on some things in order to, to reach more people and, and everything that goes along with doing that. But there's also something, you know, the Bible, I think makes it clear. We're, we're spiritual beings and there's, there's something innate in us that I think is attracted to. um, And I don't know, um, intrigued by anything that is spiritual even if someone is not regenerate, their you know, spirituals are a thing. Right? Sure. Spiritual songs. Right. And that that, and that I, appeal I mean, of the transcendent. Yeah. Something there's something, something more and outside of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. To both the regenerate and the unregenerate. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I've seen this. I've, I've done so many funerals where this I don't you guys have probably seen it. Carrie Underwood and Vince Gill at some sort of CMA country music awards thing get up and sing how great thou art. Mm. Okay, this is not a church. Mm-hmm. And I, I I I don't know. I mean, I assume maybe Vince Gill and Carrie Underwood would profess faith in Jesus. Maybe. Sure. I, I know Vince Gill's married to Amy Grant. Amy Grant was like, you know pop Christian back in the eighties. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know where they stand. So I'm not, I'm not endorsing them mm-hmm. in that way, but they get up and sing how great thou art. And I've, I can't tell me funerals I've done with somebody plays this. Sure. This recording of them. And the, if you've watched it on YouTube, the place goes nuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a, a crowd where, you know, I'm sure there are believing, b- believing people uh, among the the swath of country music artists that are there, but when they get up and sing, and granted, Carrie Underwood can flat wail, mm-hmm. uh, and and Vince Gill's not too shabby himself, and they get up there and do this, and it's 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 awe inspiring. I think to both the regenerate and the unregenerate. Sure. My point is, I. I are some of our worship songs or some of the worship songs, quote unquote, that get produced in the church world too shallow and vague? Absolutely. That's nothing new. That's been going on for right. probably quite a while. Um, but is, is it also true that unregenerate people are intrigued by the transcendent? I think that's true. I mean, Paul mm-hmm. goes to Athens in Acts 17 and he's like, you've got this monument here to the unknown god let me mm-hmm. tell you about that right right it, it's a romans chapter one you know it's 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 in the design of all men to wreck god's you know uh divine attributes have been clearly put on display in the things right. that he's made and men reject that truth and opt to worship themselves Right in nature, the things that have been created rather than the creator, and that's not 
you know, that knowledge that there is a creator, that knowledge that there is something transcendent, we know is not salvific. That's not sure. you, a, a person can't save themselves based on what God has generally made known about himself. Right. Even the, even the demons uh, will acknowledge that. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I guess, I, you know, I, I think that's a big part of it um, is, is that looking outside ourselves for something that's greater than ourselves. I mean, yeah. how, how much just in general uh, is, is done by people looking for that uh, clubs, organizations, blah, 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 whatever. Um, causes like we always want something bigger than ourselves and the end goal being the the transcendent the spiritual and uh and hopefully faithfully ultimately christ um but i wonder if part of it is that some of these songs like how great thou art right country music steeped in the american south right Mm -hmm. some of these classic hymns amazing grace how great thou art, nearer my God to thee. Uh, I mean, these these are these are more than just hymns of the church. I mean, these are hymns of of a people. These are these are songs that I that regardless of your faith, you identify with. And it may seem like, well, how could they get over the content? I mean, obviously, someone who doesn't believe is going to hear the content and be like, ah, whatever, it's a good song. Christmas music. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, how how many times do we see someone who does n- no more at Christmas than acknowledge, uh, um, you know, Santa Claus? Uh, then they turn right around and there's only one song that goes like that. And it's it's it, and it is about a frightfully terrible sight of the heavenly host proclaiming the birth of the Savior promised from ages ago. Mm-hmm. But to them, well, it's just a Christmas song. Like, oh, I love Christmas music. Do you? Why? Yeah. Because, <laughs> because I <laughs> I don't. I used I used to have a I I, do. Kelly does. I I used to have a wish. <laughs> Uh, she's like, I do in the back. I say, I do, I do like them, but I don't like, for one, I do not like Mannheim steamroller. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, come I just, on. I just can't. <laughs> and I love synth. I love synth. That's like an irresponsible use of synth. Anyways, uh, <laughs> use, use synth responsibly. Right. Right. <laughs> Korg, not even once. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, but I used to have this uh, this idea. It's like, boy, wouldn't it be great if every Christian artist were required to cover at least one Christmas song in a new style every year? I'd be pumped about that because if I have to hear Burl Ives sing uh, some garbage on the radio one more time, I'm going to lose it because like all the stuff's like, Oh, I love this old Christmas music. I hate it. So much. Uh, <laughs> That's how you really feel. Yeah. Right. Anyways, it's, it's become personal tradition to people. Whereas like, especially a, a, a hymn like amazing grace, right. Um, which, which clearly defines 
regeneration. I was blind, but now I see. Was lost, but now I'm found. Is just a song. Just like uh, just like we can say, like you know, I really like Jason Aldean's Dirt Road Anthem, and we have never once drank and drive, but we can say, I really like that song. I think that's what we find ourselves in. So, so then, should we be making a bigger effort uh, as Christians and as the church to create or promote songs that are more explicit? Where if if it's just going to be a song, you might as well be singing a cultural song that has explicit gospel does that make sense sure i mean if it's if it's just going to be an infectious song that people are going to sing and not think anything about right like an earworm i mean yeah i mean amazing grace i i I would say you know i think i think the church like when the church gathers i think we need to be we need to be explicit explicit and specific yeah because yeah because you know i'm not saying that every Christian artist has to have a, a an A to Z gospel presentation in every song. Every every song is just another version of the Romans Road. Yeah, yeah. you know, I I went to see uh, Need to Breathe Saturday night. Um, mm-hmm. Guys that I believe are Christians, and some of their songs get more explicit, right? Um, and and others are more vague, mm-hmm. um, and and I think that's fine. I'm great with that. On a Saturday night, going to a concert, and uh, you know, there were moments where I saw people in the audience stand up and put their hands in the air, like mm-hmm. they're worshiping. When the songs got more explicitly Christian and gospel, and and then there were the majority of the rest of the show was a show. It was it sure. was a show. People were dancing, yep. you know, having a great time, and it was great. I loved it. But I, I think there's a difference between that setting and and the church has gathered for. Right worship and i think yes you know when a song like oceans which i would tend to agree i think is is vague and we we tried it here at res years ago and it just never really worked it just Mm -hmm. like to me i remember hearing it and thinking oh that's a cool song and didn't i didn't think you know very deeply about the lyrics to be honest i mean i love i do love that um um spirit lead me where my trust, where is, my without trust borders, is without yeah. borders. Yep. Like, yep. I, I think that was so, that was what was appealing to me about that song. But I felt like when we did it here with our church, it fell flat. And I chalked that up to maybe just style. Well, just some there's a lot of, al- there's a lot of allegory in it too. You lead me out a on a lot powers. of allegory, you know, yeah. like I, I think what it really boils down to is what is the purpose not of the church gathered we've we've beat that dead horse but what is the purpose of music in the service which arguably that's another horse we just have a pile of horses a pile of dead horses in our in our wake but what is the purpose of, of music yeah what is the purpose of music in the church in the worship service specifically and really in my opinion um uh, it, it really comes down to to two things, and and this opinion is formed by historical usage, by you know, by uh, scriptural trends, and and really, it's to educate, edification, right? Where <laughs> music is a way to teach, it's a way to inform. I mean, how many times have uh, have we taught kids, uh, and not something as simple as Jesus loves me, but perhaps a song like. Uh, uh, 
Oh, I, it might not be known to you, but there was one Romans 16, 19, Romans 16, 19 says, be excellent do, 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 in what? Yeah, yeah. And it just teaches them. It just teaches them a, Write that a, one a down. Yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> next week. Um, uh, I'll chart it in planning center for you. It's really easy. Uh, but using it as a way to teach a scriptural truth or teach a scriptural passage or something. And so there's definitely value there. And when we teach, we want to be clear and we want to convey that rich truth, that rich information with that clarity. Uh, But I think there is also something to be said and and an allowance to be made uh, for the, uh, the component of song that's enabling the congregation to join with one voice. Mm. Uh, in returning praise and thanks to God. And in those situations is where I feel that the praise choruses sit. Now, praise, I mean, I, I use that as a, as a loose term. I use a praise chorus as a loose term that one that has um, like our God, right? By Tomlin, uh, where the payoff is in the chorus and the bridge. And it's just, it's an anthem, right? It's that fist pumping. It is a succinct statement of of our belief if our god is for us who can be against us our god is greater our god is stronger our god is higher than any other um and there's something to be that be said for that too because in those cases that song really isn't set up to be a teaching tool that song is set up to be uh, a way for the church of god to to with one voice praise and so i i think there's that two-sided coin there um if we could you know, split a coin in half and then show both sides at the same time, of course, uh, but a dichotomy the, perhaps. Yeah. You know, the Cody and I've been having a conversation since early this morning um, with someone about, you know, just, just, a, I guess it's similar topic uh, in some ways, but you know, I think sometimes people, churches, worship teams, worship leaders uh, sp- spend too much time, and too much attention on, you know, these highly produced videos and recordings of songs like oceans, for example, where you, you know, you, you go on and you see and hear Hillsong perform this song at a concert venue. And it's just so compelling. Like it's uh, mm-hmm. it's so emotional. Like I told Mary, I haven't been to a concert in a long time. And Saturday night we go to see need to breathe. And I told her on the way home, I said, I've forgotten what an adrenaline rush that is. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah when they yeah. come out, man, and all the things they do with the lights and the sound and the video screens and the, the volume and just the way they arrange the song. I mean, it's, it's an adrenaline rush. And I think sometimes we've confused that adrenaline rush with, with worship mm. and the, when, when a worship leader or worship team gets so, I don't know, enthralled with these, concert like produced mm-hmm. songs and, and recordings and they they think well what we need to do is replicate that kind of energy in our corporate worship service and i would say no you don't those are two different settings those are two right. different things that's not to say that a song like tomlin's our god it's it's an anthem it's not super deep but it does it does say biblical things and 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 we can you know, for we can use it term, intentionally. I think we that's can. we can use it intentionally. I'm not saying that's bad or wicked. I just don't think we need to let the the media age and the church having gone the the church quote unquote 
at least in terms of worship and other things, having gone mainstream uh, and widely circulated and heavily produced, inform the way we think about gathering sure. with our church family to worship. Uh, it, that, that to me is where a song like Oceans comes into the church, maybe because of that, rather than, hey, this song is going to help us in right. our disciple-making efforts with these people. Well, how many yeah. times have we yeah. either chosen or been tempted to choose a song because it's popular? Yeah. I mean, this, oh, yeah. this, this is something that, I mean... Uh, it's kind of like talking out two sides, two sides of my mouth a little bit, but not, not really. Um, I mean, this is something I, I see it in, in my church is um, I had no part in the, uh, in the lights. You know, we, we have light programs now. They're not nearly as flashy as they used to be, but nonetheless, I, I have no part in that. We got some moving lights, not tons, but we have them. We do have the video screens. Um, and uh and we're not necessarily a large enough room to really warrant them for any sort of accessibility purpose. Um, but all those things were, were decided upon, but, you know, really before I, before I got there, we, we started going, it was already in place uh, 10 years ago or so. Um, but, you know, I, I see that now as almost being just like, well, that's, that's what it is. That's what, that's what we do. Um, rather than an intentional decision made for, why do we keep doing this? Right. And at some point in the past, there was a decision made that, Hey, we need to make this look more like a concert. It was an intentional decision. I, I, I remember, I remember hearing about that um, from, uh, from the head pastor at the time that it was a, an intentional decision to make it feel more like a concert. And that has become not really the identity, but that's become sort of the visual style, um, which is regrettable in, in many senses, because if that's part of your identity, right, you never want to, you never want to question it. So if you've built your church identity around singing these most popular songs, then when you start questioning your identity, then things get difficult. Mm-hmm. And, and that's honestly, that's, that's where I'm at right now, uh, is, you know, in, in the podcast, we poke a lot of fun at, at movie series and things because everyone knows how much I, I, I don't, I don't really like that. Um, and, uh, uh, I mean, even to the point of becoming emotional, uh, sometimes negatively emotional, uh, at, at times. And, you know, I, I feel such a, feel such a struggle because, um, you know, even something as simple as, uh, you know, communion music, music during communion should be, uh, uh, should be more reflective and more pensive and slower. I'm like, uh, it's a foretaste of the feast to come, like the feast of victory for the lamb who was slain and now lives, sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Can we be a little more excited, folks? Mm. You know, <laughs> like there's, there's, there's so yeah. much that has just been, this is the way we do it. And I'm here being, and I'm here sitting like, does nobody else ask these questions? Like, does no one else care? And so, you know, it puts, it's put me in a, uh, in a, in a really challenging spot. And I know this goes beyond kind of vaguety and in music. Um, but 
it, it really reflects on that whatever we do, regardless of what songs we choose to sing, even if it wasn't written intentionally, if we use it intentionally, well, I think that changes the game a little bit. And I think that changes the game with so many other aspects of worship is being intentional and having that intention be pure. Right. And I think that's the, really the payoff is we can, you know, we've talked about using musical ramps and vamps and, and descants to, to elicit an emotional response. You bet that's a, that's a, uh, an intentional choice, but is it a healthy one for the, for the spirit of the congregation? And, and I, you know, I think we would all argue no, um, because it's, it's artificially manufacturing emotional response, um, to, uh, well, to kind of drive a, something appearing scriptural out of, out of the, or, or spiritual out of the congregation. Um, I don't know. That's something I, I that's something I'm, I'm wrestling with. Uh, and have been for for quite some time. So, uh, you you kind of diving into, uh, I, I think your question is just is even is even bigger, or your thoughts even bigger than the uh, the 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 genericness of of so much Christian music. I think it's the genericness of church that. We've done so much to align kind of visually with certain things, having coffee, you know, in, in the sanctuary and things like that. We've done so much that we've lost some part of what makes us special. And I don't think that any of those things by themselves are like, well, that's terrible. But I think that so often it's like, well, this is what we need to do. I mean, just even in the early 2000s, like people want more people. Well, we need a band. Trash the organ, we need a band now. This is, this is what we need. But it, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't thoughtful. It wasn't prayerful. It was just, this is what we need to do this. I don't know. Hmm. Welp. Yep. Inquisition, <laughs> shall we? Yes. <laughs> and, and we'll pull more from our pile of dead horses in the meantime. And this is the Inquisition, where you contribute directly to the show via weekly post in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. Come join the fun. As is tradition, we start with Brian Morris, who asks, is Westminster Effects a Christian pedal company or a pedal company that happens to be owned by a Christian? That age-old <laughs> stemming off of, is this a Christian band or is this yep. a band full of Christians? And I mean... Obviously, a company was not bled and died for. <laughs> yeah, right. Or was a band. But also from him and for him and to him and whatever him are all things, right? Yes. I, I think a business can be doxological in nature, mm-hmm. but is not in and of itself. One of, my, one of my dumb little marketing lines I've used here and there recently is, to the glory of God and for the tone of his people. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> so y'all are welcome for that. Good grief. Nice. <laughs> the tone. Goodness. Uh, but I mean. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Next question. Because I can't worship if the tone's bad. I will say that. Right. Right. <laughs> and there have been times where my guitar has sounded like a cat. Being kicked. <laughs> you need to turn off your wall pedal. Anyways, moving on. 
more, more cats need to be kicked. More cats need to be kicked. I've got a couple. You're more more than welcome to have Adam. <laughs> Fly out to Nebraska just to kick some cats. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next one from Brad Speed. He, he asks, is dispensationalism a violation of Revelation 22, 18, and 19, which reads... I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So does dispensationalism add or subtract to the book of Revelation? Go ahead, post mill. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, I don't think it necessarily adds to it. I just think it interprets it poorly and you have to, well, that was going to be my question. What does dispensationalism add? Yeah. I think it imports. Yeah. I think it eisegetes. It brings its own ideas to the text. It assumes that because the temple is mentioned that it has to be rebuilt and therefore the future thing, uh, which, right. Which, if if you have an early date for Revelation, if it was written pre seventy, then that completely changes everything. Mm-hmm. Then the temple would have still be stand would have still been standing in the first place. Mm. Uh, there you go. Yeah, um, I mean, I I think it's it's really just a, a nature and, and hold on. We see this with uh, with so many different theological constructs. Is if they put a, a essentially a rubric has been made. And that rubric is then laid on top of scripture, like where does stuff fit, right? We've, right. we've come up with a model. Now let's, uh, uh, now let's align the text within this model rather than allowing the text to define the model. Mm-hmm. Which, which, you know, that's true, of not just of the dispensational. Oh, sure. Camp. I mean, they're, they're, if you're going to say that dispensationalists are adding in that way according to revelation i mean you got to say a lot of other camps are too right? yeah i mean even right. even adding an interpretive construct on top of it, it, it it's re- i mean honestly this has been going on forever it's it's really the two different schools of interpretive thought uh antiochian and then alexandrian do you stand below the text and receive from it or do you stand above the text and look down into it i mean what are you a student of the text or or otherwise. I mean, that, that's really, really what it comes down to. And I think we should strive to be students of the text that we stand Amen. underneath of it that, and receive yeah. from it uh, what it would have us learn in context of itself. Yeah. So, and this isn't, you know, we're not saying dispensationalists are heretics no. by any stretch. I have family that's dispensational. Uh, we probably all do since we're American Christians. <laughs> that's kind yeah, of, I, I had a, fr- I had a friend who had to go to the ER the other day for dispensationalism. Like it's <laughs> going to be on IV fluids and, and the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so here's a, uh, what a lot of people don't realize is no one believed in like a pre-tribulational rapture or Israel being reestablished or whatever until the 1830s. Mm-hmm. A lot of people like it's, it's a completely new idea. Right in theology and you know Spurgeon being around within 20 30 years of that development he mm-hmm. has a, a pretty hilarious uh, quote let me see we never know what we shall hear next and perhaps it is a mercy that these absurdities are revealed 
at uh, are revealed at one time in order that we may be able to endure their stupidity without dying of amazement. <laughs> <laughs> so Charles Spurgeon reflecting on dispensationalism. Yep. So if you're dispensational and you like Charles Spurgeon, you are blessedly inconsistent. <laughs> <laughs> True that. Last question from Brian Morris. Is it important that a pastor be a positive person? What role should positivity and negativity play in ministry? Like a positive <laughs> or versus be positive. Yeah. I'm, I'm a negative. So I, <laughs> I mean, go, I mean, uh, let, let the pa- let the pastor answer this one first. Talk yeah. about yourself, and then uh, I mean those are pretty generic terms. I mean, I'm a positive or a negative person. I don't think that you know. Um, I, I I don't I don't think those terms necessarily um, are specific enough. Mm, yeah. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, I, it, it, should a pastor be this upbeat, rose-colored glasses? Um, you know, positive message all the time, encouraging person all the time. No. Yeah, I think that's what he's getting right. at. No, yeah. it, it, I, I don't think so at all, because I think that there are times where people need to be admonished. Mm-hmm. People need to be corrected, mm-hmm. disciplined. Uh, there are times when the church needs to be, you know, shepherded and told, we've missed it. We've got a course correct here. Look at, you know, again, we, we right. got to stand under the text. We've got we've got to look to scripture and uh, continually align ourselves um, with what what is true and what God has revealed about Himself. So no, I don't I don't think you can be this um, positive, happy, go lucky person all the time. There are times when, and I, know, I think if you are, sternness is required. You do a disservice to not only the Word but the congregation. I mean, not to not to put too fine a point on it, but there's a a guy who has a caricature on a particular green pedal, who's a very positive person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At what point has that positive person called himself and others to the foot of the cross to confess their sins, so that they can repent? No, that's absolutely right. You know, think, right? It's like it, it's that proper distinction of the law and gospel. I mean, not to pull the Lutheran card, but but you're going to pull the Lutheran. I'm going to pull the Lutheran card because it's it's this part at least is fairly universal in that if you remove the law from the gospel, the gospel loses its sweetness. If yep. everything is candy, it's. <clears throat> you don't appreciate candy anymore. Like how, how often um, have, you know, kids come home from, you know, a trunk or treat or a trick or treating or, or, or whatever, or shoot Easter morning with Easter baskets full of candy. And they're like, Oh, candy, candy, candy. And they get half through. And it's like, I'm, can I have like some Turkey or something? Like <laughs> they, they, they grow so tired of, of the milk and honey. That they need, that they need steak and potatoes. They need real meat, and I mean, we, we've used this allegory so many times uh, with uh, with even sermon content, right? If it's just uh, if you're just getting the icing on the cake and you never actually get to the cake, well, there's a problem there. Yeah, 
right? Yep. We, we have a desire. We have a need for, for, for more, uh, more mature, more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, more substantial stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I've completely lost the, the context of the question at this point, but well, um, I, I, yeah. I'll say this, like th- there's, there's a couple of different ways to look at that question. One is what we've just said um, about the fact that no pastoring and shepherding is not going to be patting people on the back all the time. Um, there's going to be, there's going to be time for correction and admonishment. The mm-hmm. other, the other side of it though, I think is that, we're we're also not I, I don't think it's healthy when a man pastoring you know becomes super negative in the sense that they're mean they're being a butthole all the time yep. there there there's there there is such thing as spiritual abuse oh yeah there, there is such yeah. thing as leveraging influence in the wrong way there is such thing as you know a, a man a pastor not being in a good place himself for whatever reason could it may not even necessarily be a, a sin issue or a moral failure on his part but those negative feelings and emotions are bleeding over uh and i think that that's why i i think every church should have a plurality of elders so that a pastor is never left to his own devices to assess right. his own spiritual health yep uh that he could be told look you need to take a sabbatical. You need to take a break because here's what we're seeing. Here's what we're hearing. Uh, this doesn't sound like you. You know, I think that I think that's positive. But uh, that's a positive thing when a, a group of elders could do that. But this question sounds more like: Should we be more like Joel Osteen or should we be more like John MacArthur? And though I don't, <laughs> though I don't think MacArthur gets it right all the time, I'm going to say. 10 times out of 10 be more like John MacArthur because I think he I think he's way closer to the center of the target. We don't have a very good grasp on sorrowful but always rejoicing. Mm-hmm. In American yeah. Christianity it's it's we always have to be happy clappy. Um and and then you have your fundamentalists who just hate everything. Well, you know, I I think I think we sometimes uh uh miss that uh that hope does not always Hope and joy do not always equate to uh, outward happiness. Yep. Also, yes. Good. Good stuff. Well, I suppose that brings us to the end of the episode. Shall I try out the new sign-off line that John approved of? I think you should. You're going to be proud. I am. So, thanks for listening to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. Love God. Love your neighbor. Go make music. We'll see you next week.